right, thank you so much for coming out this uh, morning. I'll tell you that if you were to ask me how many people I would prefer to have at our service, if you had asked me that question before our service would be, had begun, I would have told you that I would want this number of people here because I have found from experience that with a small group, it can become very, very meaningful. Mm -hmm. Because what it allows for is not it to be a monologue where you sit and listen and I talk, but it becomes a dialogue where you and I together can interact with God's word. So the first thing we gotta do is we've gotta take off, figuratively speaking, our modern American shoes and we need to walk back through the centuries. We need to walk back before America was founded. We need to walk back before the Middle Ages of Europe. We need to walk all the way back those 2,000 years and envision ourselves sitting in a service, not in a building like this, but probably in someone's house, as believers, and think about what it might have been like to be a Christian in the earliest days of the church. Now, we sit here in relative ease, don't we? Mm -hmm. What comforts do we enjoy right now? AC, baby. We got air conditioning. <laughs> That's right. We are, we are cool in Texas, which would not have been true in Jerusalem in those early days. What other pleasures or comforts do we enjoy? That's right, we have comfortable seats with brand new carpeted floors, which is a blessing, nothing wrong with that, but would not have been enjoyed by those early Christians. What else do we enjoy? We have lights overhead to see by. We have a sound system to amplify the beautiful music. There's one more that probably trumps all of those things. I'm surprised. We you have we have technology, we have ease of access. Freedom of religion. But, but we have, say it out loud, Catherine. Freedom of religion. That's right. Amen. We have a country and a military that guards our liberty so that we can sing and pray and open God's word with no fear that there will be any negative repercussions from what we're doing. But if we take our minds off of our modern setting and we for a moment envision ourselves sitting in a Roman house in Jerusalem or in Antioch or in Asia Minor where some of those early churches were located, all of those luxuries are immediately taken away. Maybe the greatest one is that freedom and safety to study the Bible, to pray and to, and to sing. In fact, it changed during the years. There was many, there was, it was a tumultuous time. So at times, to be a Christian in those early days was extremely dangerous. Now, I know you know your Bibles well, and so I'd like for you to think about the book of Acts, and I want you to think about the, the earliest preaching of you know, Peter and John as they went to the temple in Jerusalem, and they preached the gospel in those early days. What did they receive for their preaching? There are several answers there. I think they were all right. Go ahead. What were they receiving? Well, they're going to find a lot of non-believers there. Non-believers. And not only did they get some pushback, but where did they end up that night having preached the gospel that day? 
They ended up in jail. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine if after our service today, Justin, Wayne, and, and myself are arrested for the, acti the same activity that we're doing today? Let's think forward a little bit in Acts chapter 7, one of the greatest sermons preached in the history of homiletics is done by the deacon. And yes, deacons should be able to exposit God's word. Mm -hmm. Who is that deacon I'm thinking of in Acts chapter 7? Stephen. His name, Stephen. And Stephen is declaring the gospel before the audience. And what does he receive for his preaching? Yes. And his stoning and his beating leads to his death. There's one story. This goes beyond the Bible years. Of course, the church continues on. And this happened some years later. I read this recently in a church history book. It's one of my favorite stories about what it was like to be a Christian in those days. There were two ladies, and their names are too hard to pronounce, so we'll just leave it as two ladies, who were believers, who were Christians. They had trusted Christ. And they were found out by the government, and they were arrested. They were taken to one of those coliseums. You've probably seen maybe pictures in Bible dictionaries. They would have giant coliseums, much like the ones, what is that, Jerry's place down there? What do they call that place? <laughs> they really were like that. There were open-air amphitheaters, sometimes coliseums. And for sport, they would take criminals and release them with wild animals mm. to enjoy, shall I say that word, enjoy? To enjoy watching the brutality of the death of those criminals. And these two ladies had been arrested. And they were, they had been, they were going to be released. And if I understand the story correctly, as they're brought out to to the center, you know, to be paraded before the, the masses. One of the ladies either stumbles or falls or whatever, and she had her hair up in like a bun. You know, they, she would have had long hair, but it was all put up. And when she fell, her hair fell down on her shoulders. And she puts her hand up to stop the proceedings. And she asked the soldier, may I... May I put my hair back up? You see, in those days, when your hair was down as a lady, that was a sign of mourning and sadness. And she tells the officer or the soldier, May I put my hair back up? This is not a day of mourning for me. That's somebody really said that. Now, that woman had some courage, didn't she? Amen. And those Christians, Peter and John, it's Stephen, they had courage. And I want to know where they got that from because I would like to have in my life as a believer that kind of fortitude that I could stare death in the face with no worry in the heart. I want to have that embedded in my life as a believer. And so today we have the privilege of going to God's word and I want to tell you ahead of time that is the gift that God has for you today.
The gift that he has for you today through his word is to instill inside of your heart the kind of fortitude that you could stare death in the face and say, this is not a day of mourning. Hmm. Or if I might put it in Maxine's words, who has never flown in an airplane in her life <laughs> until we came to Texas. That you could face whatever God calls you to do with that kind of courage or fortitude. So the Bible uh, passage we're going to draw from is from the book of 1 Peter. So I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter with me. And where we'll study through. Just so you'll know, 1 Peter is all about how to face suffering as a believer. Whether it be a hospital stay, whether it be persecution, whether it be an airplane ride, First Peter, this is the book. If you, you, know, if you like to mark your Bibles, I, I don't know if y'all are offended by this. Some people are. It doesn't offend me, but I write in my Bible because then I can find things in my Bible. And it'd be great to, you, know, you can write those words either in your notes or in your Bible. How to face fear with courage. Something like that would be the appropriate thing to write at the top of the book of 1 Peter because this book of the Bible was given originally to Christians who were facing persecution and this was the answer as to how they could have courage. Let me show you a couple of verses that I just want you to circle um, in your Bibles if you'd like. Um, so if you take and turn with me um, to chapter 4 and verse 12, this is a great Verse just a circle so you can remember what this book is about. Can somebody read that for me so I don't have to do all the talking? So 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is trying to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Okay. Don't think it's strange when you go through difficulties as like something weird has happened to you. Which Christians have gone through difficulties? <laughs> All of them. Oh, everybody's going to raise their hand. All of us have. Now, notice what he says in verse 13. This is the purpose of the book. What are the first two words? But rejoice. rejoice. Because Christians can do what in the face of persecution and difficulty? Rejoice. We can put our hair back up and say, this is not a day of mourning. That's the purpose of the book of 1 Peter. Now, for our purposes today, what I'd like for you to do is turn to the first chapter where we'll spend the balance of our time. And this is going to be at the very heart of what we learned today. This is going to be the gift that God gives us concerning how to obtain this. And so what I want to do is read through the introduction first, very quickly, and then we're going to settle down on verses 3 all the way down to about verse 6 or verse 7. So here's the introduction, Peter writing, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersia, of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, notice the next phrase. Mine's kind of offset. I can kind of spot the next little phrase, maybe in your Bible the way it's formatted. Notice what he says. Grace to you and what? Peace be what? Now, what is multiply? Now, if our, if our little revival here were to multiply, what would it look like on Friday? A bunch. Let's just, let's just say we multiplied by two. We got 10 here today, so tomorrow we'd have? 20. Wednesday we'd have? 40. Thursday we would have? 80. 
That's what multiple. Now, here's what God says. God says, here's the gift I want to give to you. Persecuted church, troubled church, struggling church, facing death church. What I'm going to give to you is peace, but not just peace. I'm going to give you peace multiplied in abundance. Because the devil can add trouble to our life, but God can multiply peace. Mm -hmm. Did you catch that? The devil cannot keep up with trouble what God can give to us in peace. Now you're probably wondering, well, what is this? What is this gift that God is going to give? What is it that he's going to give us? Well, I'm going to read the text, and your job is to hunt it out. You ready? Here's what it says. Here's the gift. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, as with most of the Bible, it's kind of wordy, isn't it? So what is our job to do? we got to hunt it out. What is the gift? I'm going to give you a clue. It's in verse 4. What is verse 4 all about? Inheritance of heaven. Did you say it out loud, lady? In the inheritance of heaven? It's about heaven. So here's the thing. Let me tell you, let me tell you the secret God's going to give you. If you can set your mind on heaven, you can endure anything on this earth. It's true. If you set your mind on the things of the earth, you're not going to be able to go very far, all right? But if you can put, if you can get your mind, if you can taste heaven, you can endure this earth. Sullivan cooked for us last night. This young lady right here. For, your, for dessert, you know what she made us? Apple pie and ice cream homemade. Piece of heaven. It is a piece. I think it might be a piece of heaven. Do you know what you can eat for the main course if you know that there's apple pie and ice cream? Bingo. I can eat collards. <laughs> Peace. I, isn't this what we do with children? Because there's a reality to know that while this journey may be difficult, it has a destination. And the destination is worth it. So now in the text, even though it was wordy, there's basically three different sections that we want to talk about. Verse 3, if you like to take notes, is the path to heaven. In other words, how are you going to get there in the first place? Because not everybody's going to heaven. You may not be going to heaven. People in Gordon are likely, many of them, not going to go to heaven. You say, that is a mighty bold word to say. It's just truthful. So the first thing we got to talk about is what is the path and are we on it? 
And then verse 4 is really about the place of heaven. Okay, once you get there, what is it going to be like? Don't you want to know what heaven's going to be like? I mean, if you could taste the sweetness this morning, wouldn't it make the rest of your day a little easier? It would. And then the last thing, which is in the bottom of verse 4 and the rest of verse 5, is going to be the permanence of heaven. So those are the three words. Very easy to remember. The path, the place, and the permanence. If we can write those words down every time you ever come back. If you write those words down beside your Bible, next time you go to the hospital, you can sit in the waiting room and you can say, okay, pastor told me that the waiting room at a doctor's office could be a blessed place. And you whip out First Peter and you let God refresh you. And you know what? It will be. So let's talk about the path first. So look at verse 3. It's very wordy. And understand it's wordy. Even in the English, it's, it's really hard to get your mind around what's being said. So let's just pull out a couple of words and see if we can digest them. Look right in the middle of verse 3. You may, in your English Bible, have the word begotten. You see that word? Let me read it as a whole. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us. Begotten us. The word begotten, to birth, to bring to life. Let me ask you a question. How old were you when you became a Christian? Anybody? Can anybody? 15. 15 years old. Anybody else? How old were you when you became a Christian, if you'd like to? You were 16, okay? Somebody else? Nine. Nine. Excellent. Anybody else? Twelve. Twelve. Okay. Anybody else? Seven? Okay, that's fine. Anybody else? Early teens for me. Okay, so it's clear to me right now, based on your answers, that I am the biggest heathen of any of us. I was 24. I was 24. Now, I will try not to cry. But I know the man I really am. I know what it's like to live in sin. And I was a dead man. I was dead in my sins. I was dead in my trespasses. The scent of hell was upon me. But someone told me about the Lord Jesus. And in the living room, of a man's house, I knelt beside a coffee table and asked the Lord to save me. Mm -hmm. And I was born. Now, once you come to life, it's kind of exciting. It's really exciting. I've been a Christian now for, let's see, that was 1996. 21 years. I still feel so excited that I find it thrilling to come to Gordon, Texas in the hope of sharing the gospel. Because I'm, you know, when you're alive, you know, the one thing you want is you want other people to come to yeah. life. Now, you'll notice in your Bibles how this life is given. And I guess I have already revealed it. Look at verse 4. It says, something about heaven and about the salvation that the Lord Jesus offers, it is an inheritance. 
an inheritance. What is an inheritance? Y'all help me out. What is an inheritance? If somebody gives you. That's something you receive from your father. Okay. Upon their death, usually. Mm -hmm. The ranch or property is endowed. And what does the recipient do? Okay, but as far as to originally get it, what do they have to do? They, it just comes to them. Now, there's something that may not be obvious to you about this whole idea of salvation being a gift. Because what God is saying is this thing called heaven, you can call it forgiveness, you can call it salvation, you can call it mercy, you can call it grace. I suspect one word is not sufficient. All of those words capture for us the blood of Jesus Christ spilt upon the cross for your sins. Call it what you may. But there's something that you may not have thought about concerning a gift. Cheap things can be purchased. Valuable things can only be given. Let me walk you through this. We leave church this afternoon and we all go to McDonald's. How can you get a Happy Meal? Yeah. Why is that so? It's cheap. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Please agree with me that uh, McDonald's <laughs> cheap. So because it's cheap, you pull out your wallet and you can pay to get it. It's cheap. Cars are more expensive than Happy Meals, but still remain in the category of cheap. Cars are cheap. You can go across the railroad tracks. You can pull out your checkbook. You can write a check, and you will get the automobile that you can afford to pay for. They're cheap. A college education is a little more valuable than a Happy Meal or a car, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Can you walk into a college, write a check, and they give you a degree? You do have to pay them, but that's not enough. What do you have to do, Catherine? You have to apply. You have to apply to the school, and once you get there, what do you have to do? Do what? Study? Find your way to the library <laughs> and live there. Notice, it's more valuable, so money is not enough to get it. Notice, as value increases, the way you get it changes. How about friendship? Is friendship more valuable than college? It's priceless. It's, yeah, oh, what, a, what a fascinating, what did you, think about what she just said. <laughs> friendship is, priceless. is there any amount of money in my wallet to buy your friendship? No. Nothing. So the Bible tells us, how do you get a friend? Beautiful. Right, you still can make an investment to earn the friendship. How about trust? Money won't buy that either. Notice, as value increases, the way you get it changes. What about forgiveness and grace and eternal life? There's nothing you can do to get it. It is the most valuable thing in all the cosmos. And the only way to receive it 
is as a gift. For it is by grace that you are saved, through faith, not by works. It is the gift of God. And the reason? It's the most valuable. And that's how people get eternal life. That's how I was saying. I just ask for it, and God gives it. And so he will to you, and so he will to your neighbor, and so he will to any and all in this town. It is a free gift. And that is the only path to heaven. By the way, just by application, if God gives it, man can't take it. Did you catch that? The only thing I can take back is what I give you. But if God gives it, no man can take it from you. No lion, no bear, no soldier, no spear, no gun, no government, no one. And that's why you can put your hair back up and say, this is not a day for mourning, for not even death can snatch my soul from my God's hands. First Peter says, now, you're probably curious, well, if you are saved, by the way, if you're not sure of your salvation, I'd love to talk to you more. I'm very harmless. <laughs> if you are saved, why would you keep it secret? Would you not invite your neighbor tomorrow? Now, what's heaven going to be like once we get there? Party. <laughs> well, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. So, Melissa captured this part. This is the part she captures, is that it is a joy. Let's look at your Bibles and see, because what God is going to say is, I want to I talk to you about what you're familiar with and then help you see what heaven is. So look at this. Look at your Bible in verse 4. It says, to an inheritance, that is, and the first word, depending on your English Bible, probably says incorruptible. You might have the word next, undefiled. There's probably a mixture of different English words that fit exactly, but let's talk about that word incorruptible. Let's talk about corruption for a moment. We need to know what is corruption. What is corruption anyway? Give me some examples of what you see in the world that is corrupted. Government. I knew that was coming. I knew that would be the first one. Why do we, what is it about government that we say is corrupted? Think about what corruption means. Corruption means it's messed up on the inside. It is internal decay when something is corrupted. Internal decay. And the government, if that is the example we use, we would say that because the very people who run the government, inside of the very walls of the government, we see that wrong things happen. So we say the government has corruption. Inside of it, there is wrong. Right? A file on your computer, for those of you who have computers, gets corrupted because something inside of the code, something inside of that file is wrong, so we say that it is corrupted. But the Bible says that heaven is incorruptible, which means there is nothing inside of heaven that is wrong. There will be no more you know this passage from Revelation? Tears. There'll be no more tears. No more death. 
nor pain or sorrow. I've done 65 funerals since I've been a pastor. Do you know how many I'm going to do once I enter heaven's door? I am resigning from funeral duty <laughs> when I die. Defilement. That's the second word, by the way, in 1 Peter. Incorruptible, undefiled. It probably has a word like that in your English Bible, depending on your English translation. Defilement. What, so corruption is when it's wrong on the inside. Something internally is going wrong. What do you think defilement might mean? Right. Something that attacks on the outside is defilement. So this is Satan's attempts to mislead, to deceive, to discourage, to beat you up. It is the outside pressing in upon you. But here's the thing. Heaven's gates are tall enough and strong enough that no one and nothing could ever touch its inner courts. Incorruptible and undefiled. It is God's perfect heavenly home, and we are welcomed as his children. Now, I'm a big fan of sunsets. I love to, my, in my house uh, where I live, I sit just up on a little hill, and every night God paints the sky. Mm -hmm. Every night he paints the sky. I am amazed. I was here in Texas. I got it this morning, but there was a thunderstorm. That didn't work out quite as well this morning. But yesterday, the first day we were here, I think it was Saturday night, I went out to see the sunset, and I noticed that God paints the same sky here as he does at my house. <laughs> I look up into the sky, and I see the amber and the purples, how the clouds are illuminated, and as the sun pierces through with its light. And for a moment, a short, brief moment, I can taste his glory. Incorruptible, undefiled. And it is just a glimpse of what eternity will be like always and forever. This is the path of heaven. This is the place of heaven. Now I want to finish up with the permanence of heaven. Look down at your Bibles at the same verse. Verse 4 at the very end says, reserved in heaven for you. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling place. If it were not so, I would have told you. Behold, I go and prepare a place for you. It's reserved. You know what the great thing about reservations are? I mean, reservations are great. We had reservations for our airplane. Each of us had a reserv you know, reservation for our airplane. So we went to the airport. We had our reservations in our hand. We walked up to the ticket counter after we finally got to the ticket <laughs> counter. We had some delays. We finally got to the person. You know what they ask you? They, generally, at hotels and airports, they ask you one question. What is your name? Because you either have a reservation or you don't. And you say, my name is Wesley Garner. And they look at their list and they say, they, it's just an open arms. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, it's like you're their best friends. <laughs> they take your luggage. 
They punch your ticket, you know, they give you your boarding pass, and they say, welcome to American Airlines because you have a reservation. Right? That's, and that's the way that works. Right after Thanksgiving. What's that? Right after, that's right. There will be no scanner at Heaven's Door. Thank you. Full body scanner. That's right. That's true. That's true. But that's, but that's, that, that's a very, there's a Lamb's Book of Life. It is pinned in his blood. It is permanent. It's permanent. And that's why the rest of those words are used where he says, you are kept by the power of God. You are kept by the power of God. If you, once you are saved, are kept by his power, who then shall pry you out of his hands? No one. The moment a person genuinely believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, that person's eternity is sealed in his blood. It's permanent. We need not worry about our future. Now, this is God's gift to you. That in the midst of your trials, you would set your mind upon heaven. You would know that the path to heaven is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ built upon Calvary. If that is settled in your heart, then you can know that your ultimate destination is to a place that is incorruptible, undefiled, and never fades away. Mm. Now, you're probably asking, does this work? Pastor, are you really telling me that if I am facing terminal cancer, imminent death, will this passage sustain me? Rather than just giving you a yes or a no, we will read one story from the Bible. I will tell you one personally. We close with the last song. But I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 7. We said that there was a deacon in Acts chapter 7 by the name of Stephen. Do you remember Acts chapter 7? is his sermon where he preaches the gospel to those who are present. The sermon begins at the beginning, of course, of Acts chapter 7. His invitation goes all the way down, beginning in verse 53. It's a long sermon, and I will preach that one to you today. Here's the invitation as, as he is extending the last moments of his sermon, hoping and praying that others would become saved. Verse 54 said these, says this, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. So far I'm excited. There's conviction. Maybe there'll be a response. And they gnashed at him with their teeth. Just so you know, as a preacher, that's not exactly what you're hoping for. <laughs> Gnashing of teeth is a sign of anger and displeasure. The text continues. But he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, you read it for me. Gazed, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Here's what it says. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. By the way, in the Bible, have you noticed that Jesus is always pictured as sitting. 
He's always sitting at the right hand of the Father. Have you ever noticed that? Every other passage, look through the whole Bible, he's always seated. God the Father, and to his side is God the Son. One God in three persons, but that's the way they're pictured. Only place in the Bible that I know of where the Son is found standing. At this point, I speculate. I do not know this for sure, but I speculate as to why the Son of God is standing. It's to welcome you home. Here's what it says. And they, that is the congregation, cried out with a loud voice. They stopped up their ears and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, and they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. <clears throat> Yes, it will sustain. I'll close with one more illustration. You can close your Bibles as you, as you, if you would like to at this time. One more illustration. I told you when I began this message that I, I dearly love seniors. I have a very deep respect for any and all seniors. Because I know in many cases much of their life. And so as their years have advanced, their testimony has grown stronger. I had a very dear friend. I, as a pastor, I think of everyone as my friend. That's why I like small groups, because I'd much rather you be my friend than me be your preacher. Mm. I had a friend by the name of Francis Hicks. Many of you will know Francis. I first got to know Francis when her husband was terminally ill. His name was Henry, and I did his service I did his funeral service, and, and Frances lived much longer, and she joined West Oxford Baptist Church, and so I got to know her even better as I visited her. Frances had rheumatoid arthritis, so her knuckles and her hands in particular were obvious to me because her fingers had folded back on themselves. Frances could barely hold a spoon or a fork. She could not do much of the household chores because her hands were just honestly were very deformed. She took lots of medication, steroids to try to prevent the inflammation, and so her life was filled with struggle and battle. But she was a Christian. Eventually, the arthritis made its way into her lungs, which I didn't know was possible. I didn't even know that could happen. But the disease did to her lungs what it had done to her joints. Little by little, she could not breathe. And they admitted her to the hospital. I went to see her that day. It was the last day of her life. It is forever etched in my mind, her laying there on the ICU table. Some of you have visited or perhaps been in that ICU table. There she is. There is my friend. by her side, Bible in hand, and they put a mask on her face. They're trying to pump oxygen into her lungs to give her life. 
The pressure on the mask is so high that the air is bleeding out of the sides. Not blood, blood, but you know, the air is leaking out of the sides. I can hear it wheezing. The, the mask is wheezing air. Francis, her mind is crystal clear. Her body is completely quaking. Yet even in that moment, I am here to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ is enough. And that his home called heaven is enough. And that Francis Hicks that day was able to pin her hair up and say, this is not a day of mourning, but of rejoicing. Or as my grandmother would say when she died, see you on the other side. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. I think we have a closing song. I'm going to close with the word of prayer. And my invitation is simple. If you're not sure where you're at with the Lord, Justin is here during service or afterward. And also here it is. Listen, hear me closely. It's your job. I can bring the message, but you must bring the people. I came from North Carolina. I'm just asking you to go to your neighbor's house. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your precious gift, first of salvation but also, Lord, of that great and wonderful gift of heaven that you have promised because you have forgiven us of our sins. And Lord, I pray this day as we all face before us trials and tribulations, I pray, Lord, that in our hearts would be your spirit and the knowledge that we have a home called heaven and that we would endure all things here because of what you have prepared there. And Lord, I pray that this invitation would be extended even beyond this moment into the lives and homes of other people this afternoon. And I pray that this service would multiply through the week. And I pray, Lord, that you would save some through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.